it was a ton of pressure on me. I mean, that was the first time I had like gastrointestinal issues. I was convinced that I couldn't eat apples. Like my stomach would like not if I ate an apple. Mm. My stomach was so sensitive and responding to stress and anxiety that like I couldn't I couldn't eat apples. I couldn't eat certain kinds of nuts. I mean, my anxiety was through the roof. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So today we're talking about toxic workplaces, which is a definitively a topic that we care a lot about on this show. Um, and so we're going to be talking with Sakina Shabazz, who is DeAndre's friend from your Hunger Fellowship, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'll just let you kind of give a one or two sentence intro, whatever you think the audience should know about you for context. Hey, y'all. I'm Sakina. Um, I am DeAndre's friend. And I've met Isabel a couple times, too. Y'all are both dope people. Um, and I'm a person who works, who has to work to take care of themselves. And I have had experiences working in a variety of places, uh, some of which have been toxic. And so I think it's uh, a worthy point of conversation to have and happy to be here with y'all. Um, I am excited to talk about um, how, like, thinking about toxic workplaces, I think the thing that manifests most for me, or that I think about most, is, like, how I've had some managers that, like, are just really unfit to manage. Like, I think, I feel like that's, that's for me, what's been the cause of, like, many of my personal experiences in toxic workplaces. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I have, like, you know, I think it's, like, I feel like this is a problem that's especially true in, like, nonprofit spaces. Um, but interested to hear about Sakina and Isabel, like what you two think of when you think of like a toxic workplace. I think, I mean, I I remember thinking like coming out of college because my grades are shit, like I need to work. (laughs) Like I'm not going into anyone's grad program. I'm not like, I was pre-med for a long time. I was like, I'm not getting into anybody's like med school. No, (laughs) like if I'm going to do any you know, graduate level or professional schooling, like I need to work and that needs to be the basis for which I, you know, write my applications and like express my competencies in different areas. Like it wasn't, you know, I was not, I did not graduate cum laude, you know, with honors or anything like that. And so my understanding of people who, who did go on to like attend really prestigious institutions after college. It was like, it's because they did really, really good in college and like, you know, went on to do that. But I was like, I knew that I was going to have to work. And like, I've done a lot of different things, which we can talk about. Um, <laughs> but like, ha- like needing to work to take care of myself, I think um, puts you can, can put you in a really precarious position and can, you know, welcome you into your first like toxic work environment or, you know, a string of toxic work environments. Um, but that for me, like, like work was not out of the question, you know, I've I've been working since I was like, damn, what, like my junior year, like 17, you know, 16, 17. So it's not an unfamiliar thing to me. I have two friends from college, uh, who, who I love dearly. And I've talked to them every single day since the pandemic started through voice notes and text messages. And in June, when when a lot of the uprisings were occurring in response to George Floyd's death and Breonna Taylor's death and Ahmaud Arbery um, and other folks, um, you know, across the U.S., we found it really, really hard to work. Like it was hard to like focus and get out of bed. It was hard to fall asleep, but we still had to do our jobs. And I think uh, across the you know types of organizations that my friends and I worked at, I think I think my work probably had the most flexibility um, compared to my other friends. One of whom um, is a lawyer, and the other one who um, works as like a copy editor at a um, a journal. Um, and you know, it was just really really hard to work and. The organization that I that I'm at now and will be transitioning out of, I think, was quite responsive to the sort of external hardship that a lot of us um, were facing. 
but I was still very cognizant of like all the things I needed to do, like the actual tasks of, of you know, with my job that needed to happen. Um, because if I didn't do them, they, they wouldn't get done, which ha would have like really downstream implications for the programs that we run and um, the people who are a part of those programs. And all of this is sort of within the context of also not having um, an immediate director who had transitioned out of that role a couple months prior. And so I'm doing my regular duties um, with the role that I have, but also absorbing some of the duties that um, a person who was higher than me in management you know, would have been doing, I still had some supervision. It, it wasn't completely, um, I wasn't completely left to the wolves, but there were really, really large tasks that I ended up doing um, that, you know, kind of went beyond a 40 hour work week and were really stressful. And I think I've heard a lot of people say like, since the pandemic started, you know, they've been working harder while they're at home because it's harder to sort of like segment your day and take breaks. Like you have to be really intentional about those things. And I wasn't. Um, and then on top of that, I was just tired from the world and like racism and police violence and all these different things. But on top of that, like I had a lot of work to like a lot of work to do. Um, and that was that was incredibly hard to manage. And so I think the topic of, you know, toxic workplaces, I think toxic can mean different things too. It doesn't just mean one person harassing you or someone talking shit about your hair, which has happened before. We'll get to that. Um, or, you know, one person actively making your life a living hell in that office space. I think it can also be like structures and systems and um, poor management practices that make everyone's job harder. So how do we think differently about, um, first of all, people being treated better in the workplace, but also for the things that aren't so obvious, like how do you implement better systems and structures and practices so that people um, can actually go home and like rest and not, you know, be thinking about work all the time. Like I was dreaming about work, y'all. Like it was, <laughs> oh, <man>. I think <laughs> Do you ever had like, like panicky work dreams? Like that's, oh, that's absolutely. Work. terrible. I think my, you know, I can't think of a place that I've worked at where it wasn't like kind of low key expected um, for you to put in like as many hours as it took. You know, whether it was like 50 or 60 or whatever hours and like and then not charge any like overtime, like not like, you know, not request any kind of raise, like that kind of grinding mentality that I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time in the corporate world, but I feel like it's very much a characteristic of the nonprofit world. I don't think I've ever had a job that didn't bleed into my personal life, like since really? college, like first job out, I did um in americorps program but that was like 60 to 70 hours a week working in a school and earning thirteen thousand dollars americorps is wild <laughs> how how do we how do we like that's a government program like how do we justify doing that to people <laughs> not, that, not that national service isn't important i think I think elements of it are really important. It's not framed as a job. It's framed as a volunteer program through which you get a stipend. So I think the, I think the language there is particular and I think that matters. Um, but that stipend was still taxed. You know what I mean? Like it, and, and at the end you get an education award. Um, and it's, I think that there are things that you can learn from it. And, you know, I, I think in some ways, like the idea of like giving your time and skills to a community that is under-resourced. And I, mean, I don't know, I think the incentive was to like, feel like I was doing something that was impactful. And I, I do think it was, I, I, I learned a lot and I do feel like there was a lot of like measurable growth in the environment that I was working in, especially with the, the students that I was working with. Um, but like toxic, toxic, let me tell you, like it, <laughs> it was it was really hard it was really really hard we were definitely overworked and I mean I saw students get berated like completely berated and um I couldn't do anything about it because my job was to support this particular staff member and to support the students and not to critique or offer um suggestion for how that should be done and like granted like 
I'm no, I'm not an educational expert either. Like that's, I was a philosophy major and like, you know, uh, a recovering pre-med, like this is not <laughs> my area of expertise by any measure. But I also knew that like the kids were coming to me afterwards expressing discontent with their experience and not feeling good and feeling shamed and like angry. Cause if they responded, they would be punished, you know? And then during the second semester of school, um, for whatever reason, the person that I was paired to work with ended up leaving in the middle of the testing season, like the state tests. And I mean, we had like a rotation of substitutes and I mean, it, it was just such a chaotic environment, but somehow I became like the consistent figure in the classroom, even though I was not a trained, um, I don't know if license is the word, what's the word for people? Credentialed I think, teacher. I think like, you, know? you didn't have a teacher's license, you know? That, yeah, I, I didn't have license to do that, but I was there and it was my job to like be present and to be supportive for these young folks, for these young kids who, um, had learned a lot at that point, but were ultimately in an environment that was unstable. And it was a ton of pressure on me. I mean, that was the first time I had like gastrointestinal issues. I was convinced that I couldn't eat apples. Like my stomach would like not if I ate an apple. Mm. But my stomach was so sensitive and responding to stress and anxiety that like I couldn't, I couldn't eat apples. I couldn't eat certain kinds of nuts. I mean, my anxiety was through the roof. I couldn't afford therapy even if I even tried. Like, I i don't even know what kind of health insurance we had at that time. But, like, my physical response to the environment was was um, was really serious. And for a long time, I just thought I was sick. But it was like, no, like, that's what stress does to the body. Yeah. And um, one year was enough. There are people who stay and do that program one year out, two year out. You know, they kind of move up in ranks. They might oversee a particular group of schools in a particular area of the city. And I was just like, I can't like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. Damn. So that's like a, you like, that's a really good example of like real ass toxicity, like affecting your body, you know, like, I mean, I, I experienced more of that down the line, you know, first job out of college mm -hmm. thinking I was like doing good work. I think it was good work, but I also don't think we need to sacrifice ourselves in the process of doing good work. It's not. Yeah. yeah. So like in your, cause you were saying, you know, you had a definition of what a toxic workplace was that maybe isn't, you know, it, you know, we do associate it with things like physical harassment or verbal harassment and stuff like that. And it's not necessarily that in your mind, what are the elements that contribute to a toxic workplace? Well, I mean, definitely the interpersonal interactions can. Mm -hmm. If you are being harassed, if you have people who um, talk condescendingly towards you or are, you know, openly being racist or sexist or ageist or ableist towards you, um, those are all things that make for a hostile work environment. Um, but I think beyond that, when, it, when I mean something along the lines of like structure, um, or practices that might be in place. There was one place where I worked um, that didn't give me overtime. I ended up getting comp time, but there was never time to use the comp time because my job was way too fucking busy. Yeah, and, that's what happened to my first job out of college too. Right, so it's like, I don't get overtime. I'm not being compensated for this. And the comp time was only limited to like a three month period. So if I didn't use it, it would expire. Mm -hmm. And so whereas like, if you had... If I was getting overtime, I would have been, you know, presumably compensated accordingly for all the extra hours that I was doing. And for this particular job, I was running trainings. I had to um, run like a, a base of volunteers to do outreach work. And a lot of that was like, you know, throughout the evening, like work would end at five and these things would run from till about like six to eight thirty or six to nine sometimes. And it will all count as comp time. Like I was not being... I didn't get overtime. So like, I think one of the things that organ organizations can really um, investigate is, is, is their timing policies. Like, do, do your folks get overtime? If, if it's comp time, you know, not making it time limited to, you know, three months out of a, you know, every quarter or something like that. Cause I guess if it rolls over and you choose to use it, it will kind of turn into a lump sum, which I guess would be expensive, but like, 
at the end of the day, that's time you accrued from working. It's yours. Right. And so I think that, uh, you know, practice wise, like, I think that's a really practical thing, but also like literally not overburdening people with like two people's worth of work. I felt like I was doing the work of two, sometimes three people at a job at, at a time. And it was work that I was extremely passionate about that I felt competent about that I, I, I knew I did well um, for a lot of the metrics related to our outreach. I mean, they were twice as high as the person that were in, in it before them. I expanded some of our partnerships, you know, did, did everything I was literally supposed to do. It was just run into the ground. And I was only at that position for about a year, um, maybe 11 months or so. Um, I remember keeping a log in my phone of, of things that um, my manager said to me that were just off the wall, um, how I was feeling that day. I remember that was the first time I had anxiety where my heart rate would not slow down. Mm-hmm. Like I would try to go to sleep and it was like, I'm laying here and I feel like I just ran a mile. Yeah. yeah. Like what is this? Who, like, I don't even like, and I Googled it and it was like textbook anxiety. And I was like, but this is my job. How do I not, how do I do my job in a way where I don't feel this way? And that's when I realized there was no way to do that and not be deeply anxious all the time. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to leave. And I did. Totally. But it was hard. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing where like there's all of these sneaky things that seem fair in like a lot of these procedural things like the, you know, the timing thing that you brought up. Because like, you know, in my First job out of college, there was no like limit. It doesn't expire like after three months or anything. But the onus is still on you as somebody who has no work experience to actively, you know, say, oh, I'm going to take this day off and use it my comp time. Right. And a lot of people I worked with just did not feel like they could do that. You know, yeah. like there wasn't Hard. there wasn't room culturally to be able to ask that like from your from your staff or from your uh your boss you know like right because there's just like, inherent hierarchies there right that you un- feel uncomfortable kind of asserting yourself especially yeah. when you know, have no work experience vacation? right who are you to take a vacation you just got here right who are you to use these, yeah, these people, sick days people side eye you because you? they've been they're like you know they've been mistreated by the same culture and they're like also oh, this person thinks that like they can be get like like but in reality, it's like, no, I actually, I want all of us to be treated better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was talking to a friend who got a job mm, a year ago. DeAndre, you know the, who you know who this person is. Um, excuse me. They got a job working for a really, really cool uh, kind of tech company. Um, and he was telling me that, like, he has unlimited everything, like unlimited vacation, maybe unlimited six days. I, I might be wrong about that. But I know the vacation piece is unlimited. Um, and realistically, you can take as much as you want, mm-hmm. but no one ends up taking vacation. Yeah, because everyone's working too hard. Right. Like, what's the point of having a policy like that? I think that is the point of having a policy like that, right? Oh, that's sadistic. Right. I don't like that. Yeah, because <laughs> that's true for well, everyone I know who has those unlimited vacation days. Is they still live in a culture that is inhibiting them from actually taking advantage of those types of policies. I I saw. Mm-hmm. Do y'all know who Richard Branson is? You know, he's he's like the is he like a motivational speaker? Yes, and also he's like a billionaire that founded Virgin, like the Virgin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like he's like owns an island in the Caribbean or whatever. Yeah, he has he has um he owns an island, but he owns like Virgin Mobile, Virgin Airlines, Virgin all that shit, right? And Mm -hmm. his I saw him speak at a conference last year in Salt Lake City, where um. And he and I, I brought this up because he was talking about how his main thing as a leader and as a boss is trying to make sure that his employees are really happy and like has really high employee satisfaction. And one of the ways that he says that he does that is he also gives his employees like he, unlimited time off and unlimited like unlimited sick time and stuff like that. And so and and it's funny hearing that, like you on the other side of it being like. Still, no one. It doesn't really work. But he yeah, was like, culture of people taking. Yeah, it, it's not going to make it. And maybe, and maybe Virgin does. But his his rationale was like, if you like, if you want people to work for you like adults, you need to treat them like adults. And like adults don't. Whoa, like good point. He's like, adults should be able to if they need a day off, take a day off. If they're sick, you should like you shouldn't like you as another adult like shouldn't try and assert yourself over like an employee to be like no you have to come out come in or whatever and 
and in the in the speaker and obviously like now I'm taking what he said with a grain of salt in the speech he was like he was like and all of my employees like you know they don't they don't even have to like ask me in advance like if they need a day they take it and when they are there it makes them work that much harder and like happier to be at the job so I don't know honestly ask the employees see how they feel about it yeah. I mean he's the face of this you know company right so he can say that in good faith but like ask the person who has to like run one of your portfolios can they take a day off yeah can they actually take a day off that won't make the boat sink if they are not there for a week or a month at a time i think one of the other things that happen is that support structures are really not in place for a lot of people if if so much of one thing is contingent on one person doing that job that person's not going to want to take time off. That person's not going to want to leave for because they're going to be concerned that it's going to fall to pieces if they're not there. And, and, you know, for different places that I've worked, expressing that I need help with this thing has been met with a really, really slow response before. Like if you, if you know that you want to take a vacation, like sometimes you have to work backwards to figure out, okay, I have to finish this thing. I need to collaborate with this person, but also like get a temp. Get somebody. I think one of the things I'm I'm realizing um, more recently is that this job can happen without me. And I think one of the things that I've really internalized over the last couple of years, as I've sort of grown more in my field and learned more about uh, things that I feel really passionate about, like subject-wise, um, I think I convinced myself sometimes that like, if I don't do it, it, it's not going to happen. Um, and and to some level to myself, that feels true. But I think in the like broader scheme of a company or an organization that is not a person, that job can be filled by somebody else. That task can be done by somebody else. And I think for me, that kind of gave me a sense of like separation from my job. I felt really with every job I've had, I felt really, really entwined with with either the mission of the organization, um, the people that we worked with through the organization or the subject matter. And I think I convinced myself that like, I was just needed, you know, mm -hmm. that I need to do this. And that shit is just not true. It's not true. We are all replaceable, all of us. <laughs> yes. And that's not a bad thing. I think I think acknowledging that and accepting that someone else can do this job kind of calmed me down a little bit and like let me like kind of loosen the reins some and and gave me a lot of peace of mind. You know, like I, I think I told y'all, you know, I'm transitioning out of my role now. Who I was worried about who was going to fill my shoes. I was worried about it. Mm -hmm. That's not my job to be worried about yeah, it. Yeah, not your problem. You know? it, it really isn't. It really isn't. But, you know, at one point it was expressed to me from someone else um, within the organization that, you know, one of the things that they really didn't want to happen was for our team to have no staff, our particular, you know, sort of subset within the organization. Like that was their biggest fear. And I internalized that. That's not mine to internalize. Yeah. It's not my job to fill that position. It's not my job to hire my replacement. And I do think that it was just really misguided. Yeah. It was really misguided. I had to let some of that go. Yeah. I had to let some of that go. I think that, I think that when I became, I took on a similar mentality at my last workplace where I was like, I don't know if, I think one of my supervisors told me this um, or someone else told me this, but it's like, you know, I was doing policy, policy research, which is generally a very, very slow moving like mm -hmm. like field right the work i don't want to say is slow moving because there's always some like stupid deadline that people are trying to meet that they miss or whatever <laughs> um but i had to like slow down and tell myself like yo my job is like kind of important but it's like not important enough for me to be this stressed and anxious about it you know like in terms of like all of the like the work that i was doing for the world or whatever and um and but i think that the challenge that i was then met with was like you know how do i navigate dealing with people that do think that this job is like the most important thing like in the world to them you know and 
I think that led to some really, really kind of like, I was, in my last job, there was a lot of really, really frustrating dynamics between like the junior staff and the senior staff. Always. 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 And I found that that made it a really toxic work environment. And for me, in that the, you know, the senior staff that were like supervising us would give us like a lot of, like I'd say the majority of the work that was done was done by us so that it could then be like very, very hyper scrutinized by the senior staff. And if we made like, you know, like one misstaff, one one mistake, like one, you know, missed edit or whatever was treated like we, you know, like we had like had almost made a moral failing or something like that, you know? And um and at the same time we were like kind of simultaneously being almost gaslit about like about like um you know about the senior staff like wanting to support us and like wanting to make sure that we were like growing and things like that when actuality it just felt like we were being like like worked to the bone (laughs) and also um and also like our work was like being not being like properly credited to us you know the senior staff would be like when it would finally make it to the project director it'd be like you know this is the proposal that and it wouldn't be like this is the proposal that was primarily worked on by deandre and blank and blank it'd be like this is our proposal you know and that kind of thing that's whack that's whack as shit yeah and there's so many like especially i think by industry like I know so many people in law that that happens to where it's like just not even expectation that you're going to be credited on anything. And like I I the thing that's really interesting to me around like our changing standards around workplace culture is that like I think that this is all stuff that people just kind of took for granted is like, oh, that's like part of working before. Right. For sure. And like even our current norms. Right. Like there's so many places in other parts of the world right in developed countries where they would look at even just the way we treat like you know paid leave for parents and stuff like that i mean like that is just everything is a baseline toxic workplace environment you know mm-hmm. like even if you have like the happiest like you know coworkers, whatever right there's so many things that are just like so fucked up about the way that we you know treat our employees like i had a friend who right after college and who she had started working and she had like broken up with her boyfriend and she was like a zombie and I was like, damn, if only you had just broken up while you're in school because it'd be so much easier to deal with this because you can just skip class and it's not like anyone gives a shit, right? But when you're an adult, it's like you have to still <laughs> clock in and like go to work. And it's like, it's so perverse that, that that's like something you would think, you know, is that like there's, there's no room. I mean, you were mentioning like, you know, all the BLM stuff that's been happening, right? That's the kind of thing that like you can't just like in your adult working life just have a crisis, you know? Unless you, I guess, want to take PTO or something. Yeah, which you, you know? have, which you have to accrue. You know. Yeah, exactly. And if you haven't accrued it, you're just shit out of luck, right? Yeah, it's. Yeah. I think that policy matters, and I think it's. I think it's okay to err on the side of generosity. I think the idea that you just have to accrue everything is an antiquated policy that really doesn't serve your employees. Yeah. It conserves money for the organization. But it's not a people-centered policy, and I think more organizations could afford to to make that shift to something more generous. Mm-hmm. Do y'all have any like outlandish things that have happened to you in the workplace that are really just on the nail for the toxic work environment? Uh, I have a few. Yeah, I, I think when I was I was serving at a place, and I'm gonna put them on blast because fuck it. Uh, I was serving <laughs> at a place called <laughs> um, I was serving at a place called Tupelo Honey Cafe in Raleigh, North Carolina. And shout out if you're listening. And and um, I actually I like I liked my job there. It was like a, you know a it was like a mid tier southern modern food like serve brunch shit like that you know. And um, we had a management change, and the new manager really did not fucking like me like at all. And and it was like. He was, he was a dude that was, like, just, like, really into himself and, like, very into, like, you know, running, like, he's, like, you know, I've been working at Tupelo for, you know, X years. I, you know, corporate sent me here to, like, whip this store into shape, that kind of thing, like, like increase the sales. And I, as a server especially, well, you know, I wasn't really trying to, like, like, suck up to any managers or, like, make any people like me. And people, like, 
like my employer i think my i think people generally like me but the people that didn't like me i didn't try to like you know get on their good side or whatever because i've been working there for like a year at this point and i was like and I, and like for that restaurant that was a long time you know people like had a pretty high turnover rate and so over the process of like two to three months after he started he kind of just like he like yeah like kind of just like gaslit gaslit me on my work quality and like made up reasons to justify like pushing me from server to back server so essentially like busboy and then um because he, he'd be like you know you're moving really slow today like you're like you know you're like you don't get you don't clean your tables quick enough and like all these things that like were literally just like I was moving at the exact same pace and cleaning my tables at the exact same pace as everyone else. Um, but he then used that as, as a justification to demote me from server to busboy. Did that change your pay? Yes, it changed. Like I went, uh, I went. So busboys were hourly, and servers got paid in tips. But at that restaurant, servers got paid. I mean, that resulted in you making a lot more money as a server than as a bus as a busboy. So like literally changing my income stream. And then, so, like, I quit. I found a new job at a better restaurant. Um, and on my exit interview, he was like, he was like, you know, man, um, I think that, uh, I think you have a lot of potential. You know, I think there's a lot of potential for you to, to, to be a really great server. And, and, you know, if you, at this new restaurant, you know, it's, it's a, little bit up, a little bit upscale. So if you ever need any advice on how you can improve, just let me know. <laughs> and i'm like and i'm like dude like all this we're servers at a restaurant like none of this is that serious and like and i was just like yeah but once again it resulted in you know i said earlier that like as a server i didn't have to take my work home but that was one situation where like yeah i felt like i felt a lot of residual anxiety from like the environment that i was in when i was working mm -hmm. oh my goodness yeah, yeah that guy terrible and annoying and cocky and just like who are you yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey fuck you andrew if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> andrew andrew ended up getting fired a couple of months after i left for not increasing the sales like he didn't I, like yeah. sales went down after he after like when he got there so Woo, well that's silly yeah that's also I wild that we live in this like crazy metrics driven culture too Right. Because like I think a lot about these types of problems and what institutionally you could do. Right. Say that you aren't personally the manager of any of these people, but you're like the CEO and you're like, OK, how can I change my policy to make things better? Obviously, there's always going to be assholes. Right. So just fire the assholes. Right. But like, you know, we've talked about like, OK, what can happen when you have like this unlimited vacation policy? Like you actually have to change the work norms. Right. Like there's so many of these like like, you know, on one of the previous episodes, B was talking about working at Netflix. Like, Netflix is, has, like, notorious for, like, having their their employee handbook online. It's, like, it's like you know, public and everybody can read it. And it's, like, really, really uh, fosters this environment of, like, oh, you're, nobody's ever, like, safe in the sense that um, even if you've worked at Netflix for, like, however many, like, 10 years or something, if somebody does the job better than you you can you can always be replaced right and on the one hand it's the point of that is to be like to try to get rid of this like nepotism and all the people who are like you know have been here since day one are just going to get prioritized and like you know keep getting promoted even if they're not doing good work which i totally understand they're trying to like you know be more meritocratic but it also really sounds like the kind of environment that sounds super like like it sounds terrible. very much like yeah, it sounds right? very much like, you know, like there are probably a lot of people that are putting in 80 hour weeks <laughs> that are not yeah, getting Yeah, so for like it. that's the thing is like I can I can understand their their logic behind being like, "Oh, we're not just going to have it be this like, you know, in-group type of environment where it's just like people promoting their friends or whatever." But at the same time, it's like not really clear that their alternative is a better solution to that. Yeah. Right? I don't mm -hmm. think I feel like for me one of the biggest ways that I feel like a lot of like almost every place I've worked at could improve is like like listening to the like the people that actually do the work in your organization whether it's like junior staff at urban or like you know like wait staff at restaurants and then like if people are telling you that like this for example this manager is really hard to work with then like something needs to be done like and at my yeah. at you know like i've i've had talks like recent diversity talks at jobs that i've had where people have been like, look, we know 
of senior staff that are like notoriously give junior staff like problems like they're hard to work with we know they're hard to work with but and like it has been I, I was in a recent talk with somebody where they were like literally I have brought this to management and I have I was then taken off a project like I it resulted in me getting less work because I told someone yeah. that this that this person was really hard to work with even though it's well known and this person was like so like because of that I will never like I will never speak up again about a negative experience that I've had with a senior staff member um mm-hmm. that retaliation is real yeah and like That's real. and it's just like I think that you know if employers actually like treated employees like they've actually valued their time and them as people you know and not like the nepotism nepotism thing but i don't think i don't think that the solution is what netflix is doing (laughs) one of the uh places i used to work at i literally was like walking down the hall and the president of the organization it's all like one floor president of the other organization at their door open. I was walking by. They were like, oh, hey, Skeena, like, how's it going? You know, how's how's the project going that you're working on? And, you know, stood in the doorway and talked for a few minutes, just catching this person up on the work that I was doing, um, you know, talked about uh, the timeline and, you know, our, some of our, our metrics are already being hit, like it's really exciting. And, you know, literally just kind of metaphorical pat on the back, keep up the good work. So cool. Walk back to my office. I got an email from my manager at that time who saw that interaction and literally was like, if you're talking to the president, I need to know about it. There's no circumstance under which you should be talking to him. And I don't know about it. Jesus. In an email. Yes. And I was just like, okay, no problem. You know, like I, there, there is no, there is not a, a world in which I thought that interaction was inappropriate or where I thought my conversing with this person um, would have made my, my boss look bad. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking I'm giving updates. Like we're doing good. This project is going well. Yeah. This makes you look good. If I'm doing good, you look good. But you like, scolded me over an email for for what you thought was excluding you. Fam, that's all and ego. That, I mean, it, it, ego. Tell me man. about it. And that's like, tell me about it. I think it. that's like what makes a manager really bad. I didn't do anything. And I think for that moment, I was just like, it made me very cautious of my interactions with other managers in the organization at that point, because I think as a as a as a I am a black woman. I would say that my manager was a woman of color um, and she was the only woman of color on staff. And I think that there were optics for her to manage too. And I'm I'm not, not sympathetic to that. I know that the higher you go up, the less people look like you. If you are a, a person of color or a woman or a person who is differently abled or queer or any other thing that is like not white and not male. And so I I can understand that it is important for you to also manage your image to your peers, but you don't punish me at the same time for doing something that I did not ask to be done. Um, and that was like, well, you know, halfway into my time at the organization and that's when I realized I was like, there's nothing that's going to please this person. And when, I think getting to the realization that there is nothing you can do to uh, gain this person's favor. But I think, I think there's a world in which you can work and not need the favor of your managers. You can objectively do your job, hit your metrics, go home. But I was on a really, really small team. And the other people that I worked with had the favor of our boss. We're super jovial with one another. Um, we're asked to go to meetings that were more uh, outward facing that I would not be asked to represent us at. Um, and those are obviously my observations. There, you know, could have been a different reason for that, but the continued nature of that made me feel like, oh, you'd rather have this person uh, who looks nothing like me uh, go out and, and, and represent us because 
that is going to make the meeting go well, or, you know, do so, you know, run in a way that uh, you think it's supposed to, which is their shot to call. That's fine. Um, but don't punish me for like menial things Yeah. yeah. and not acknowledge when I am doing above and beyond my job. I think that, I don't think we, I don't think we need sheer um, praise all the time. Um, but I do think that if you are working your ass off and no one is paying attention, why are you doing it? Like, what's the point if, if the people that you're doing this work for don't acknowledge your, your hard work? Um, it, it really turned me off to it. Uh, the same manager um, would actively make comments about my hair and that was really, really difficult. Um, my hair is locked now. It's been that way for about two years. But before that, you know, I wore my hair natural. I had braids. I had sewing weaves. Um, and I came to work one day with a, you know, with a new hairstyle. And for full context, the white people that worked in that office didn't say shit about my hair. They're like, oh, good morning. You just cared. I just mm-hmm. didn't, didn't Which- say Thing. Which you know, like either say, "Wow, I really like yeah, your hair," yeah. or don't say shit, right? Like that's like, that's the, those are the two options. My boss was like, "You look so different. I can't even look at you right now." They literally said that to my face in front of the intern that was working in our office. Um, and when she walked away, the intern was like, "Why would she say that to you?" And I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like me and had hair just like me mm-hmm. i look so different you can't even like who the fuck says that <laughs> that's wild why it was so disrespectful yeah it was so disrespectful and i i mean i i literally like i wrote it down in a note on my phone so that it was time stamped and dated and just like you know went on with the rest of my day. And when I did my exit interview, I mean, I went off. I, t- I said everything, you know, the the comment about, you know, if I'm talking to someone, she needs to know about it, about my hair. It was, it was extremely disappointing. Um, but ultimately I felt like leaving was an act of, of self-preservation um, because my, my health was in trouble. Um, my mental health was in trouble and I, I needed to leave. And so I did. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's what's always so sad about these types of situations to me is that that's often the only option it seems like people have. And then that from an organizational standpoint is, is a, is a bad only option for your, to have for your employees because then you lose really talented people, mm-hmm. right? If you don't, especially because so many people can go to HR, right, and be like, okay, here are all my issues, you know, here, I've, I've got all the receipts, right, and, you know, often the HR person does not have the power, like, to do anything to this person, right, especially if they're a senior person, right, okay. it's not like they can be like, okay, well, let's go fire this person, right, and often the, t- the reason they became a senior manager is because somebody trusts them, right, someone higher up trusts them, is probably going to trust them over you, Right. If you are working underneath them. Right. And like it's tough because it is one of those things where I think that there's often this tendency, especially in liberal environments, to say always trust the employee, always trust the victim, always trust. But like I, I totally see people's arguments in, you know, saying that like. There, but there are such things as bad tenants and there are such things as bad employees. Right. And so you can't necessarily always just decide. Right. Like. You know, when it's when you say like trust your employees, if there's two sides of something, how are you ever going to really be able to mediate that, right? Yeah, they're not, they're not going to take the lower person's opinion. They're going to err on the side of the manager because right. often would- they have more experience dealing with that person, right? Right. That's probably why they got it's, promoted. It's probably more risk if that person were to be fired, like the threat of lawsuits, things like that. Mm. You know, are probably a higher likelihood over letting the person go who's just there for a year. I've never been fired from a job. Um, that is a thing that happens. That's not happened to me before, either because I did a, a shit job at something or because, you know, laid off because of like money reasons or anything like that. I've always been in the position where I've left, um, made the choice to, you know, leave for one reason or another. Um, 
but I, you know, do know of stories of people being at the end of retaliation, you know, and that's extremely hard when like, when you're, when you're, well-being is tied to your economic security. That's how it is for a lot of working class people. Right. You know, for people who grew up poor, like you got to get your, like you got to, you got to make your money. Like do not let anything get in the way of you being able to take care of yourself. And I think what sucks is that because you're so much more desperate, if you are somebody who, you know, grew up poor or you're a person of color or whatever it is, right. And you then become a manager. I do feel like often you feel this, you know, pressure to perpetuate that system, right? To look good mm-hmm. or whatever it is, right? Um, and often, like, you know, do that even more harshly than than other people, right? Because mm-hmm. you're just like, I can totally see, like, the example that happened to you um, where you, you know, had this manager who was, like, saying that just being, even if you had a company, right, that 100% had a great culture, right? And then one person comes in and like feels this like pressure, you know, from either the other organizations or work experiences they've had that they need to like do this like shitty kind of rat racy thing. Like it only takes one person to to do that for people, you know? Um, the pressure that accompanies being the new person mm-hmm. or the pressure that accompanies being the one person of color or the one woman or the one insert, you know, marginalized identity does come with pressure, but that does not absolve you um, of responsibility and accountability and the task of treating people with decency, which I think a lot of people forget. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just common decency really just goes out the window sometimes. And I'm like, where did it go? Why? (laughs) How did we get here? Why are you talking about this? Because if I if, if if in any instance I, I spoke to my manager like that, I would be fired. Mm-hmm. Point blank period. No question about it. Yeah. That's power. That's power at play. And I think that's really um, where a lot of young people are disadvantaged, where a lot of recent graduates are disadvantaged. And, you know, we need we need to work. We, I mean, outside of that, we have people with interests and skills and, you know, want to be part of actualizing a world where our principles are at play, where where harm is reduced, where poverty and hunger are not issues. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like we are, we're mission-driven people. We want to do work that is on par with that. But oftentimes we find ourselves in environments that are just not good for us. Um, but also times we're told that like, you know, those are the organizations that are like doing the work, mm-hmm. that are front and center, that are the, that are the spearhead of, of movements. So what do you do when like the beacon of all this work is treating you like shit? <laughs> Where do, you go? do you start your own organization? Do you start your own mm-hmm. nonprofit? Do you like do, do you, you try to get them canceled and like I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've actively considered I mean, now that I'm, you know, transitioning into school, I'm really excited to sort of deepen the areas of interest that I already have, but I I find I find myself thinking sometimes like Maybe it's time to pivot. I don't, I sometimes feel like I don't want to do work that is so connected to my own lived experiences because it's triggering. And when I am in spaces that are um, actively focused on reducing, um, you know, issues of, of poverty, of, of homelessness, of hunger, of gender-based violence, you know, I want to be part of that solution, but I've also experienced a lot of those things and I don't want to be where that good work is being done, but I'm being treated like the gum on, on the bottom of somebody's shoe. It's really, it's, and like, and it's, it's the only way to do work that is mission driven in spaces where they're also toxic. Does that mean I just don't need to do this work? Yeah. Like, where do I fall into this? Because I, I, my, pre- my self-preservation matters. I'm not, I think, and I think that's a really privileged thing to say, you know, as someone who has um, working class parents who, you know, have worked and not worked at different, you know, points in their life. Like, who am I to be like, I don't want this job. It's not nice. You know, like my parents had to work really fucking hard to take care of eight kids, you know? And I'm like, why can't I just like suck it up? Right. I feel like that is kind of the 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 pushback to a lot of the, you know, like there's all of these these I like I was reading this Atlantic article by I don't forget who who was talking about like, oh, you know, the flip side of this is 
all these, you know, coddled, like, liberal snowflakes, you know, are constantly going to HR being like, this so-and-so person said mean thing, this person said mean thing to me, and then the HR person just being like, you know, <laughs> what? yeah, like, how can I really solve these problems for you? These are interpersonal conflicts, you know, for you to kind of address with this person. I'm sorry that there's a power dynamic, but every organization has power dynamics at play. This is just something you're going to have to figure out how to work with, because I can't change the fact that, you know, organizations are hierarchical someone's gonna have more power than you and some of those people are gonna be yeah like how much of the like the suck it up factor should we bring to the situation i think that like our generation and like or probably you know to not make it just about millennials i think each generation is marked by like some degree of incremental change right and i think that i think that our parents generation was very like work work for work focused like you need to get a job you need to maintain a job like kind of by all means necessary and i feel like i feel very passionate about the idea that like we should be trying to push the work culture forward to like closer to what sakina was saying which is like if you're being mistreated at a job like we should be empowering our our workers to feel like they don't have to stand for that shit right like i think that's like it's like along the same lines of like unionized thinking but I like I'm very very pro you know pro worker empowerment and it's like like for me I feel like someone said this to me and it kind of like changed the way that I it was probably part of the program that Sakina and I were in but someone said to me like like you need need to always remember that you don't owe anything to your employer like for hiring you right and um and when I heard that, it really reframed things where it's like, oh, yeah, like, it's completely justified for me to, like, responsibly try to remove myself from a situation where I'm not happy. Like, and it's not like, you know, I'm not like a fucking, like, special snowflake for doing so. And if I am, fuck it. Like, I deserve to be treated well. Like, and I, like, and, like, if I advocate <laughs> for all of those, even, you know, the, like, the curmudgeon ass like generation above us to like do the same thing for themselves too because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like because because if everyone did that then that would push the work culture forward like if everyone stood up and said like we need to be treated a certain way then the employers would have no choice but to treat yeah. us a certain way Okay, so firstly, Sakina, what have you been doing to stay sane during the coronavirus? Yesterday, I went to the drive-in movie theater for the first time, and that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm doing okay. Um, cool. Well, before we get out of here, is there anything that you like want to plug? Anything you want our our listeners to check out? <laughs> um, I don't have anything to promote right now. Be well, be healthy, y'all. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Um, and- Take care of yourselves and and the people you love because we need to make it out of this shit. So be well. Um, As always, if you heard anything you liked, didn't like, um, you have any questions for us, you can get us at at I'm the villain pod. That is our Gmail. That's our Twitter. That's our Instagram. Uh, Otherwise, bye.